0: Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show. And I am super, super excited to have my next guest. We have Jill Koziel, who is the co-founder and CEO of Motherly with us here today. And Motherly is an online destination empowering mothers to get the info they need with tons of amazing stuff, expert content and innovative product solutions all over the place. And they have also in a super, super engaged audience of over 40 million readers and viewers per month with an on-demand parent education classes as well. And like I said before, content, which includes essays, articles, and of course, that social community when you have those questions, as uh, many parents and including myself, have, They're the Place. So Jill is also the co-author of two books, The Motherly Guide to Becoming Mama, Redefining the Pregnancy, Birth, and Postpartum Journey, And this is Motherhood, a motherly collection of reflections and practices. And I can't wait to chat with Jill about her journey in building Motherly. In my opinion, she's a great example of a co-founder and CEO who has led with purpose, figured out what problem needs to be solved, and innovated along the way in the journey. So super, super excited to get going. So welcome, Jill. Jill.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Kara. It's an honor. Really, really excited.
0: So let's start at the beginning. I would love to get a picture of Jill as a
1: child. Uh, What did you think you would be doing when you grew up? Oh, goodness. So I grew up in a pretty rural area in Southern Maryland. And I, first generation college student, and my parents did always expect and set set the standard that I would be going to college. So I dreamed pretty big from the beginning. I went from anywhere from wanting to be a pediatrician to a paleontologist, um, you know, all over the place. But I also had the example of my father running a small business in the community and I think was always inspired by seeing him as a leader in our community Hmm. uh, and, and loved to watch him create something out of nothing that was impacting so many people in our community. So think that little bit of entrepreneurship that bug was was always in me. So growing up
0: with a family of small business entrepreneurs, it, it sounds like you were super inspired by your father. Did you have brothers and sisters?
1: And obviously, you had a mom. Um, yes, too. Uh, I do. Um, so I have three brothers um, who all work for one of my father's businesses in some way, shape or form. And then my mom also actually, um, after a few years um, working outside the home on her own, started working with one of my father's businesses. So really, I'm actually the only one um, that now currently is not involved in some way in the family businesses, but was absolutely inspired um, by the commitment and really saw the persistence that's necessary through it all. And I think that that's helped drive me to build what I've built with Motherly. That's so great. So can you tell me a
0: little bit more about your career backstory? So you
1: had, what was your first job? Oh, so my first job, I was a cashier at Hydewater Pharmacy, um, a local pharmacy in Southern Maryland. Um, and I was 14 years old. I have always had a job um, since I was 14 years old. And so that was that was the first one. And I ultimately was a pharmacy tech towards the end in high school, um, which was great. Uh, but yeah, always doing that. But I actually then went to school for political science and international relations focus. Mm-hmm. And so my and my graduate degree was in international security studies. So, I went from that to doing international relief and development work and then consulting work for a lot of government contractors and a lot of three letter agencies. So, I've had like top secret SCI clearances and, you know, worked in the DC area um, for a long time, which is always surprising when people ask about that background and how in the world did I go from there to here? Exactly. So, you were doing this role
0: in government before actually having children. And I mean, thinking back, what was kind of the biggest challenge you saw in actually, you know, deciding that you want to have a family? And then also you had a career that sounded like it was, you know, pretty great.
1: Uh, And what what was sort of the big challenge? Yeah, it was. I was a business director in a a boutique consulting firm doing really important work that mattered, um, supporting, you know, national security in, in, in our country. And the thing as I was thinking about having a family with my husband was, you know, the same question that unfortunately every mother is faced with is like, how do I make this work? How do I maintain this career that I have worked so hard to have? How do I maintain that while also, you know, giving my all to this this new role that I intuitively knew would be the most important role in my life. And how
0: often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year.
1: So I really struggled with thinking about travel and commute time and, you know, how to balance those things while still not losing myself Mm -hmm. in all
0: of it. No, absolutely. I remember that uh, so well when I was uh, trying to work and, and, you know, really kind of encourage my career to go. Uh, where I wanted it to go. But I also really felt the importance of having a family and and spending more time with my kids before I was going to lose uh, that time. So I absolutely understand that. So what led you to start a media company focused on motherhood?
1: So there was one stop in between. Uh, my My husband served in the military. He went to the Naval Academy and was a submarine officer. And as he left his military service, he went to Stanford for business school. And that's what moved us out to the Bay Area. And that is where that entrepreneurship bug really kind of latched onto me. And so when we moved, we had only a six-month-old, our daughter. And I, within a month or two, I had identified a gap in consumer product and baby goods, um, where... I was swinging my daughter at a playground where there were no baby swings and it felt very awkward to be holding her and trying to swing. It felt dangerous. And so um, I invented, patented, and brought to market um, with a co-founder a product called the Swingies that converted regular playground swings to toddler swings. And so that was actually my first entree into entrepreneurship on my own, separate from my family. That was an opportunity to really cut my teeth and make all of the, you know, first time mistakes along the way. Uh, but I learned a ton and I also really started to understand what it meant to market to moms and to really understand, get out from behind myself as a mom and really look at what the needs were for mothers in this space. So that then um, a couple years later, when I received a call from my now co-founder, um, Liz Tennedy, who... Is an award-winning journalist and editor from the Washington Post. When she had this, this, you know, beginnings of an idea around creating a new modern brand for mothers, um, I felt really ready to go. You know, to jump all the way in. I felt that I had the experience that I needed. Uh, I understood how to see something to scale and you know bring something to scale. And she had the media chops. Um, So it was really coming together, um, focused on the needs that we were seeing in moms, for moms and that what we also had for ourselves. So that's how the media part came into play. So your name, Motherly. Uh,
0: So what does that mean to you? And how did you decide to name
1: your company Motherly? Oh, we we talk about this a lot, actually, uh, because it, it comes up frequently. For example, we just got like a final... Registration on the trademark, like seven years in, uh-huh. uh, and I remember all of our, you know, high paid attorneys told us, "You're not going to get motherly mm-hmm. trademarked. Like it's a word. You're not going to be able to own a word." Um, and we do. We have. And I think in some part that just shows how undervalued motherhood is. That it was even available, right, as a word to be, um, you know, for someone to build something around that word for to be trademarked. We we were looking at how this generation, at the time millennials and now Gen Z, were really redefining motherhood on their own terms. We knew, you know, I was taking my consulting background and looking at drivers of change, and I found that there there were three things about this generation that were really different and that were forever changing motherhood and families. And it is that, one, this is the first generation that women are more educated than men. Mm -hmm. So that changes everything the first generation of digital natives. So that changes how they engage with each other, with brands, with content, and their expectations online that weren't being met. And then three, we knew that 2018 was quickly around the corner and that that was going to be the time that we had the shift in demographics where the majority of births in the U.S. are now of minorities. And so when you take these things that have changed, that have forever changed, motherhood, We felt that this generation needed to redefine motherhood and therefore needed to redefine what it meant to be motherly. Hmm. Motherly is defined as being nurturing and loving and caring. And that is not all that it is today to be motherly. Totally. To me, being motherly is learning how to nurture and not lose yourself in motherhood. It's being strong and confident and powerful, and loving, and nurturing. It's all of these things coming together to create a modern woman who is also a mother.
0: Absolutely. And you touched on this right before we got started too, but how, you know, especially when you are a mother and you're raising your children, what are you showing them, right, in the process and the strength? And I think that that is, when I talk to women across the U.S., uh, you know, that have children. I think that it is something they put as a high priority value um, for, you know, what do you want your legacy to be? And it's not just to people that are not in your family, but to your own family and your own children. I mean,
1: it means a lot. Absolutely. You want to lead by example and lead with authenticity uh, so that your children can see that You've lived a full and intentional life, right? In a way that they can aspire to. And that I think in a different way, maybe than in the past, mothers now are, are trying to show that we, working mothers specifically, that we don't work because we have to necessarily, mm-hmm. although financial reasons are very, very real for all of us in many cases, but it's because it's it's not making it just about that. It's about like, I'm really good at what I do. Um, I really enjoy it. I'm making a difference in the world and I'm providing financially for my family. And so leading by example for all of those reasons so that you know, and, and saying like, I am I feel really lucky and blessed that I've found a career that does that. And I hope you find the same. I love that. No, it's
0: so great. So you founded Motherly in 2015. And uh, you touched on this just a minute ago with getting that trademark seven years later. We have, uh, very similar stories around that with the word hint for sure. Uh, but they say that women only get 2% of the VC money, um, that is out there. Um, not sure what the stats are for mothers, uh, because I think there's definitely a bias towards, uh, women who walk in the door for sure. Um, who have, uh, who have children, even if they're not coming in with, Their stroller or baby born. (laughs) I think people are figuring it out. I certainly, when we were raising money, had questions from investors asking me when they knew that I had four children when I started Hint. They wanted to know who was. Uh, taking care of the children. They never once asked my husband, um, who was our chief operating officer, um, you know, who was watching the children, which is a whole other story. But can you share a little bit more about what that experience was for you and Liz too, um when you were out raising money?
1: Yes. So it was hard for all the reasons that you said. And just to have your listeners remember, 2015 looked a lot different than 2022, mm-hmm. thankfully. This was before the Me Too movement. This mm-hmm. was before women really found their voices and and, I, and and demanded more of a seat at the table, uh, and there were very very few in Silicon Valley, especially a very tech focused place. There were very few partners or decision makers, the actual investors that we were meeting with, and so you know, if you can picture this, we're, we're in Silicon Valley, very tech focused, a lot of older white men um, in decision-making positions. We walk in as two millennial mothers talking about motherhood and media. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, things were not gonna start out well, right, from the beginning. And without a great network, right? We, mm-hmm. weren't, we weren't aligned with any of their pattern matching um, that they do to try to minimize risk, right? We were a risk the moment we walked in the door, and so it was incredibly hard and those first meetings were a less of a focus on the business and the market and what we could build and more of a focus on how we didn't fit their their pattern mm-hmm. it was you know oh let me let me talk to let me talk to my wife about this let me ask my secretary about this instead of really looking at the fundamentals of the business in many cases and it was so frustrating it was so incredibly frustrating because I didn't want to be given special treatment for being a woman or being a mother. Sure. I wanted to be given just equal treatment. And I wanted the business and the brand that I knew we could build to be seen for, for what it was, the traction that we had. And we kept being told motherhood was me. I mean, which is laughable now because you know most women, bec- which is 50% of the population, become mothers. Once you become a mother, you are forevermore a mother and making decisions through the lens of motherhood. And we now have data to support that women are making, mothers specifically, are making 80% of the household and healthcare decisions in their families. Like, we are an economic engine. And that was just being ignored in the beginning. And we really had to always do better and be better and over exceed expectations in order to even get in the door.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we had a very similar situation when we were raising money, too, when I... Shared with people that I had had a, an addiction to diet soda. We had more men who would say they weren't diet soda drinkers. And so they would say, Oh gosh, I'll have to talk to my wife about that. Mm-hmm. And I always say to entrepreneurs, if they actually say that they're going to speak to somebody about something, the chances are very slim that they actually oh, yeah. will. Just-
1: just right. just close that door. I mean you have to kiss a lot of frogs before kiss you kiss a lot you know, of frogs yeah, and... but it's the same story and
0: you know I was I've became a quick study on it mm-hmm. on you know mm-hmm. it was just a uh, way to actually end the meeting right
1: and, and now I just yesterday was I try to pay it forward and uh, advise other women or in early stage businesses to talk through like their fundraising process and the such. and I say you know in the beginning, It often feels, you know, you're getting tons of feedback, right? It's this constant feedback loop with these investors, and you feel this natural desire to like modify to what they want to hear, right? You're Mm -hmm. you're, you've got good EQ, right? Like you can you can kind of start to morph to that, but instead of thinking about how you can fit into their mold and fit through their gates, I really recommend that they, you know, flip flip the perspective so that really, if that's that's not the kind of investor you want right? Like, this is a long-term relationship in most cases with investors. And so you're trying to to see what gates they get through for you. Like, totally that switch in your head. Because to your point, if they ask that question or they make that point, like, let's not waste anyone's time. Like, they're not right for you. Yeah. You're not the other way around. No, absolutely. And if you see
0: signs that they're going to have a hard time kind of getting their arms around your business, run, right? Yes, because exactly. that is just the... Um, either you're going to waste a lot of time um trying to uh put a you know square peg in a round hole or you're going to be sorry. I think in exactly. the end that that they have partnered with you in some way. So absolutely. It's so such critical learnings and advice there for sure. So you have founded a company, or co-founded a company, and scaled a company um, during a, an incredibly crazy time. Um, what are some of the big things that you've learned along the way? I mean, you had never been through a pandemic. Um, now you have, Thankfully. as I was. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Like, just... Add that to the list of crazy that you've been through and survived. Um, But what are some of the big things, a couple of them, that you've really
1: learned about entrepreneurship? So this this pandemic nearly broke me. It nearly broke motherly. And it nearly broke all mothers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know that disproportionately, especially working mothers uh, outside the home, we disproportionately carried the weight of this pandemic and the burden of it. And as a company employing 90% working mothers Mm -hmm. on our staff, it was tough. Uh, This was absolutely the most challenging time for us. There were certainly days where I felt like I couldn't go on. I moved my family from a California and a community that I loved to Park City, uh, Utah, to get my children in school full-time. Because I needed that backstop. I needed that support structure in place so that I could work mm-hmm. and that I could lead motherly. And so what these, these challenging times for mothers and therefore for motherly um, taught me a lot of really important lessons that I carry with me. Um, one as a leader was to just lead often, you know, with authenticity. Uh, I, I think I, I know I spent my 20s and 30s as a leader, watching and picking pieces of what other people did, and and trying them on for size to see what kind of leader I, I was, and I also care, you know, again knowing that so few dollars go to women and especially to mothers, I also took on a um, a more traditionally masculine approach in some ways to leadership and. That was not speaking truth to my power in a lot of ways. And so during the pandemic, I showed up as my most authentic self as a leader. And I think that that showed with my team. Um, I was vulnerable with them. I spoke to them, at, you know, explained the hard decisions that we were making from a financial and a staffing and all of these different things that we were doing. Um and that was a big lesson that I think I'll always carry with me as to how to really connect directly. And we've always been remote. We've been a 100% remote company since 2015. Hmm. But it was it, the fact that, you know, our, we weren't skipping a beat with our team working from home, but we were impacted by the fact that now they were working from home with children mm-hmm. without childcare and learning how to connect with them at a, at a different level um, required more authenticity from me and for me to show up in different ways. So that, that would be one. Um, I also learned how to, because our team could truly without support and governmental support, and in many cases, family support, could not be as productive as, as they were, once were. I had to work with them to radically prioritize, to understand what that really meant, to to let go of some things and just do the must do's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hold some of those can do's and wish we could do's for later, um, to really radically prioritize. And then also learned the lesson of the necessity of cross-training our team, mm. knowing that we have a small team and that people were going to be out for different points. They were gonna have you know COVID issues and COVID challenges and with childcare and with their health themselves. And that was really challenging, but I think again, something great lesson to, to learn from. Um, and then the last one was, I speak a lot about with motherly. The reason we focus on mothers is that when a mother thrives, a family and communities can thrive. But mm-hmm. it all starts with her, right? She's the center of it. And I learned through COVID, while I was also burning, you know, at every end, um, you know, not taking care of myself. I learned that as the CEO, if I wasn't thriving, my company couldn't thrive. And to really prioritize myself even more than I had been before. Um, to start finding, you know, self care ways that would enable me to be able to, to be on this, this what felt like sprinting a marathon.
0: Absolutely. If you had to mention like one trend that you, really see and that you are happy about for mothers, uh, do you think that there's a similar point that you've seen mothers really talking about that trying to, you know, take care of themselves first so that they can be
1: better. We are far from a place where mothers will put themselves first. Mm -hmm. Um, I I still, I I don't think we're there yet as a whole, um, as a society. Um, I think martyrism and, you know, that is still what's expected of mothers in many ways. But I think what has shifted, we we had actually named, Motherly had had started the seeds of a movement at the beginning of 2020 called Year of the Mother. Mm -hmm. This was going to be the year, this is pre-pandemic such innocence. Um, We were going to create a platform of what mothers needed and what we were demanding that we needed to have from governmental, employer, and, and societal support in order to support mothers so that we could, in fact, thrive. And we had a whole platform. We had a whole group. It was a fabulous thing. It started in January, and then the pandemic came. And what I think the silver lining is that it was the year of the mother. It was the year that we finally, as a society, understood the value of caregiving. Mm -hmm. We finally got it. It was in our faces. It was in our Zooms. It was, you know, it was everywhere. Finally, we could not expect women or parents generally to pretend that they weren't parents when they were at work. And because the children were there, it was part of everything. And and I think that that has shifted the conversation. I think we are closer now than we've ever been to um, governmental support for paternity leave for affordable childcare, and these things that need to be structural support systems that mothers and parents currently don't have, I think we're closer than ever. And I think that the pandemic, as hard as it was, put us to a breaking point where we're now demanding that Um, and using our voices and our votes to make it happen.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I still worry, you know, that there aren't enough women and mothers standing up. And uh, we're tired. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's true. Um, and uh, and I'm hopeful that even, you know, the next generation will start standing up because I think it's really important.
1: You know, Kara, it's also I've tried to, again, shift the dialogue a little bit because it's no longer a nice to have mm-hmm. to have mothers in your workforce and in your leadership roles. Totally. Uh, It's now a business imperative because this is your most educated cohort. Yeah. Right. And, And she's having children later. And so she's moved into middle management. You spend money and time and energy training this person with a ton of institutional knowledge. And again, most educated cohort. It's a business imperative, not a nice to have. And we we need women in the workforce to be economically competitive in the world now. And so because of that, if you, if you put it into economic terms, like why we need to do this, then providing structural support to make it happen makes sense. I mean, during World War II, when women went to work for the first time in factories to support the war movement, women were able to drop their children off at government-sponsored daycare facilities. Those caregivers, which were professionals, would take their ch- those children to the doctors if they needed and care for them during the time, and then when the mother picked the child up, they would give them a casserole so that, that they had prepared so they could have dinner wow. waiting for them. We have models in the United States of when we've made this work. And so I'm I am hopeful. I'm I'm optimistic that we're we're starting to see and talk about this more. And that's the first important step. I love it. So you created motherly, obviously.
0: And then every year you also have a, you conduct a study of mothers called the state of motherhood. This is the largest study by far, um, of, of mothers. Can you share a bit more about some of the results and why they've been surprising to you
1: maybe, um, along the way? Absolutely. When we first did this, it was again, motherly with Having the largest, most engaged audience of mothers in the U.S., we wanted we felt a responsibility to be her voice mm-hmm. and, and to share that data. And so, this isn't just you know a poll or a survey. This is a statistically significant study that all of you know on, only nearly twenty thousand women this last year mothers completed the survey, and we weighted it to the demographic data. And so, this is legitimate, credible research uh, research that's being used other places now. And the things that surprised me, you know, over the years, um, one, how demoralized, even before the pandemic, women were about being able to make work and family life work happen for yeah. them yeah, um, and how unsupported they felt by our society. I also, one of the things that was most shocking a couple of years ago um, was that many, many women were having, uh, were being intimate with their partners. Sooner than they thought, than they felt ready after having a baby.
0: Hmm.
1: You go to the doctor at that six-week point, and, and many families feel like that's when you're checking off, like we can get back to business here uh, in, in the intimacy side of things. And and women almost feel pressure because of that and that social expectation around it. And that I mean, it was a pretty large. I, I can't unfortunately recall the number right now, but it's pretty large percentage that felt like they were actually being intimate before they felt ready. And that was an important conversation for us to bring to light and to have a conversation on. Um, This year, the most surprising thing was that nearly 50% of mothers today are the primary breadwinner in their family. Wow. Again, back to business imperative, not a nice to have. We are driving the economics of this country in really powerful ways and not being supported. And that... That stat, that stat that, you know, we're at the point now where 50% of mothers, not even just women, but mothers are the primary breadwinners in their families earning 50% or more. Um, to me, even though I've seen it coming and I, and I see it watching, that was still just amazing to see that stat come to life.
0: Wow. That's, that is so amazing. Uh, really, really interesting to think about. So do you think women will, I, I, I think there's a combination Going on right now of the great resignation and also mm-hmm. um, you know women who had to leave mm-hmm. um, I've always said they they didn't choose to leave they had to leave mm-hmm. I mean it mm-hmm. was the obvious choice because many of mm-hmm. those women uh, were not uh, the breadwinners were not making mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. amount of money mm-hmm. um, in the household, but do you think that they will be going back. I mean, at what I, somebody said to me the other day, oh, it's really challenging to find work. I'm like, "What are you talking about?" I mean, I think that the world has opened up even more for mothers to be able mm-hmm. to if you mm-hmm. choose um mm-hmm. to be a working parent, you could work part-time, you could work full-time, you could work for a company across the globe if you
1: chose to. There's so and, and, and the pandemic did help. There's a lot more, you know, knowledge workers. It's certainly a privilege, um, but there's a lot more remote opportunities which help working mm-hmm. parents, you know, in many, many ways. You know, I, I do think we'll turn it back because these are educated women that, to your point, were, were in many ways forced to. It's not a surprise that the largest resignations were in September, um, right, as schools were supposed to be going back into session and weren't going back um, in, in the same way. And so, uh, you know, I, when I looked back and even seen as my own workforce, this generation, the millennial and gen, you know, increasingly now gen Z generation that were in the throes of this in early motherhood and, and trying to work and make it happen. This generation was with their partners being really intentional about the kind of partnership and family they were having. I think they were trying, I saw that we were trying to create a different kind of family than the one we were raised in. We were trying to create one that was more equal, that was more balanced in form of, in terms of partnership and responsibilities. And that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's hard to break out of generational, you know, traditions to build something different and something new. And I think again, coming upon 2020, like I think we were making real change and real progress in that. The challenge is that the pandemic was a crisis and when faced with a crisis we revert back to what, what's comfortable and what's normal for us and in many cases that was much more traditional gender-based roles where it was okay we've got to hunker down we don't have the energy to to be intentional about you know doing this hard thing of creating a different type of family we've just got to survive and yeah. to survive i know that these gender roles have worked for every single generation in my family before so let's go back to that um, I think this year, as as schools are really going back and as the CDC is changing requirements you know that mean that children won't be bouncing in and out with exposures to school, I think that that makes a big difference. And I think we will start to see women and, and mothers rejoining the workforce. Great to hear. Uh, so when you think
0: back at your younger self and uh, maybe even... Before you had started any company uh, and also before you had become a mother, I mean, what would you tell your younger self?
1: I said this to my husband the other day, Park City is beautiful. we were driving through Park City with our two daughters. We were um, in the back of the car on Sunday. We were heading out for our annual yes day, which probably seen the movie and, you know, just the day we said yes to everything to our children. And um, I told him, I said, wow. If our just married newlywed selves could see our life right now, driving through Park City with these two beautiful, healthy daughters in the back, like living our best lives in terms of our careers, doing things that we love, like, would we even believe it? I mean, the fact that we lived in Utah would be shocking, I think, to both of us. But, you know, would we believe any of this? And he's like, oh, my gosh, I would absolutely not. And I said, what I would give to have just like a, a snapshot of this moment right now for back then, because what I would tell myself is like, wow, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be chaotic, but it is going to be so worth it. Yeah. That's what I would tell myself. Oh, I love- because it's, um, I feel really lucky. I mean, every season of motherhood is different and I'm in a pretty sweet one right now.
0: Oh, I love that. That's such a great note to end on. So it was such a pleasure to speak with you, Jill. And thank you so much for so many of the great insights and all the great things that you are doing to not only help uh, working mothers, but parents and, and just be a resource um, for so many people to know that they can do something really, really great and helpful to so many people. So thank you again for the conversation and for making the time. And thanks everyone for listening to uh, and we will hopefully uh, have you back at some point to talk more to Jill. We we absolutely really enjoyed this, so thank you again. Thank you. Thanks all for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and I want to thank all of our guests and our sponsors, and finally our listeners. Keep the great comments coming in. And one final plug: if you have not read or listened to my book *Undaunted*, please do so. You will hear all about my journey, including founding, scaling, and building the company that I founded, Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness.